your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that Somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. We will be looking at verse 8 today. I've entitled this message, What Are You Famous For? Now, the book of Romans begins with the gospel. The introduction, as we've gone through in these past weeks, he lays out the gospel even as he just begins with the greeting. It ends with the gospel, and it's 16 chapters of gospel. What's my point? (laughs) Why does Paul do this? Because there is nothing more important than the gospel, right? This is not just the beginning of Christianity. This is Christianity. The gospel is what we will be singing about for all of eternity. You turn to Revelation and what is the song of Zion? The Lamb who was slain again and again. But before he gets to that, he does something else first. Before he dives into the meat and potatoes of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he thinks it's best that he establishes something first. Now what would be so important that he would put a comma, he would put a pause on the gospel to talk about? What could he possibly want to say to these people that is so important that he takes a break from preaching the gospel? If you... If you were going to talk to a group of people, what would you begin with? What would would you want a body of believers to know first and foremost? Notice what Paul wants them to know. He says, first, and this is not first, second, third. He never gets second. He never gets to third. This is first of all. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. The first thing he wanted these believers to know is that he was thankful for them. He thanked God for them. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, here's the Apostle Paul, and he's thanking God for these saints. He had a heart of gratitude for them, and he wanted them to know this. Before he gets into the depths and the heights and the, 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 the wide, amazing beauties of the gospel, he wants them to know that he prays for them, thanking God for them. Paul was a thankful man. He had a heart of gratitude. And he often did this. It's not just Romans where he does this. He often thanked God for other Christians. At 1 Corinthians 1.4, for example, he tells the Corinthians, the Corinthians, mind you, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, he tells the church in Ephesus, for this reason, in uh, Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers. In Philippians, I thank one three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul was not lying. He was not using exaggeration. The Spirit of God is leading his pen here. He's telling the truth. He was thankful for other believers, mostly thanking God for what God had done for these believers. He was giving credit to God, thankful. He also taught other believers to be thankful. One example of this would be Colossians, which we uh, went through. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Point is that he was a man who was thankful and he was a man who taught others to be thankful. He was a thankful man. Are you? I mean, brothers and sisters, how is your gratitude to God? How thankful are you? When was the last time you told the Lord thanks for something? Now, many people do, right? There are many people who are very thankful and they tell the Lord thank you often. But their thankfulness is always connected to them. So they thank the Lord for their life and they thank the Lord for their home and for their children and for their stuff and for their job and for their health. But do you see what Paul is doing? He doesn't say, I thank my God for what He's done for me. No, he says, I thank my God for you. Are you this way? Do you thank the Lord for what others have been given? You know when this is most challenging to do? It's when someone has what you want and you don't have it, right? It's easy to be thankful when we both have the same thing. You're full, I'm full. You're healthy, I'm healthy. It's another thing when they have exactly what you lack. Those of you who desire to be married, are you thankful when someone else gets engaged? I mean, how joyful are you at other people's Weddings, it can be hard, right? There are some people who feel like they even have to hide their joy because their single friend won't be happy for them until it's their turn. What a blessing that we have seen in our church. Many of you single brothers and sisters not only rejoicing but serving at other people's weddings. What about the woman who always wanted to have a child and instead the Lord has closed her womb like he did for Sarah and Elizabeth and Hannah? Sisters who've only had miscarriages? Families who have no children of their own to be thankful when someone else is pregnant? Truthfully joyful when someone else's child comes into the room? When you see entire households saved and you are the only Christian in your family, can you be thankful for them? For what God has done for them? Other people's children are being baptized. Meanwhile, your child is getting worse and worse. Can you be thankful for what God is doing for someone else? You all know that it's very difficult to be a Christian in China. And it's intensifying. In fact, they're saying that it's even more difficult to be a Christian today than it was under Mao's horrible, murderous reign. Did you know that the Christians in China are thankful for the freedom that we have in the States? They can't walk around with a Bible. They can't preach publicly, openly, meet. But they are grateful to God that we can, even though they can't. This is the heart of gratitude. Really think about this. Test yourself as I test mine. If someone works less than you do, they sacrifice less 
than you do. They deal with much less difficulty and suffering and trial than you go through, and yet they have exactly what you want. Can you be thankful? Because God chose to give it to them and not to you. This is about trusting God, right? This is about contentment in God's will. Paul was this kind of man. Paul wrote many of his letters from where? Prison. And yet, he was writing to people who were free. And he wasn't bitter that he was in prison and they were walking around free. If you read his letters to the Corinthians, he was defending his apostleship. He was defending his motives because they were slandering him. They were saying all kinds of things about him. And yet he rejoiced at the good report and reputation that other Christians enjoyed. While he was being slandered and thrown under the bus, he was grateful for what he didn't have because it was found in the lives of others. Does that sound like you? The only way to do this is if you are satisfied in Christ, if you're content in Him, trusting Him, where He's enough. If your dreams and your plans and your visions don't come to pass, but you have Him and you trust Him that His will really is perfect. It's easy to say that, right? Until we're disappointed. It's easy to say, Lord, I trust you. Your ways are better than my ways until his ways don't agree with my way. Then we're put to the test. You chose to not give me what you gave them. And I'm grateful because what you do is for my good. And I'm happy that they have that. Can you be that way? Paul was thankful He says, first, I thank my God, which is the next point. Not only did Paul have a grateful heart for these people, he also had an intimate relationship with the Lord. Listen to how he phrased it. I thank who? My God. Not your God. Not the God. My God. He's personal. He's intimately acquainted with God. He knew God for himself. So many people talk about the Lord, the man upstairs, the big guy, but there's no personal relationship. They talk about God as though he's a stranger to them. He's far away, he's distant, but there's not this intimacy there. Paul knew the Lord. He boasted in it. He was excited about it. He loved the Lord and expressed the relationship Openly. Is God your God? Now, children, this can be difficult because you grow up in a home, especially if you have Christian parents, you grow up in a home where your parents know the Lord. But have you ever come to the place where your father's God is yours? Where your mother's God is yours? Where your husband's God, your wife's God is yours? Do you know Him for yourself? Can you say, my God, my Father, my Lord. Remember the woman at the well? Right, the Lord, He opens up who she really is, presents Himself to her as the satisfying, thirst-quenching water. And what does she do? She runs and what? She tells everybody. John 4.39 says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's all she knew. That's all she said. And it was good enough. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Look at the kindness of the Lord Jesus. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Has that happened to you yet? I mean, you come to church, you read your Bible, you pray because someone you love, respect, look up to, trust has told you it's true. 
has told you Jesus is good. You listen to Mr. Jason, children, as he tells you of the beauty and the joy of Christ. You listen to your parents in devotion. You listen to the, in the fellowship. But has, has God become real to you? Have you seen him? Can you say like Paul said, I thank my God. Have you seen his beauty for yourself? You know, some people say you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. John MacArthur points this out. He says, uh, the language of contemporary Christianity is very man-centered. The language of contemporary Christianity is about personal relationship with God. And of course, even the devil has a personal relationship with God and it's not very good. He says, everybody on the planet has a personal relationship with God. He is the God of everyone for salvation or damnation, end quote. The question is not whether you have a personal relationship with God. The question is, what kind of relationship do you have? Is he your enemy? Or is he your father? Paul was thankful. And he had a personal, intimate relationship with God. Savingsly so. He tells us he's thankful. He gives thanks to his God. How does he do it? This phrase, which is only used here, this is the only time where you get the language of, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. It's only found here in Romans 1. What does this mean? Through Jesus Christ. Perhaps one of the most telling things when thinking about the reality of who God is for me is the interaction between God and man as you read through the Old Testament. It's it's amazing to see. Here is God, holy, beautiful, glorious, and here is man, sinful. And when you see man seek to have interaction with God, you see a very interesting pattern. For example, Exodus 19, 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then he says this, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Now think about this. God says he is going to, in a sense, descend upon the mountain to have this interaction with man. And they are given strict commands. Make sure you tell them to stay back. Interesting. They have to consecrate themselves, much preparation. And then the Lord reiterates it a few verses later. Verse 21, Exodus 19, the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. He warned Moses, go down, warn the people, make sure they stay back lest they die. It's interesting. Exodus 40, 34, after the tabernacle, the tent of meeting is completed. It says this, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting Why? Because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter in because the Lord was there. It's as though when God is present, man has to stay back. You have to stay away. You can't come close. He's too much. Think of Job. Job wanted a meeting with God. 
Job 23, verse 3, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job said, I want to meet with my God. The Lord heard him, said, you want to meet with me? All right, let's meet. Suddenly, Job didn't think it was such a good idea anymore. Job 42, verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you and will make it known to me. He's quoting God. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Here is the most righteous man on the face of the earth. He wants a face to face with God. God shows up in the whirlwind and Job says, I didn't realize what I was saying. Now that I have seen you, I despise myself. I repent and dust and ashes. And then you fast forward and you get Isaiah. Again, the most righteous man on the face of the earth at the time. Here he is standing in the temple. And what happens? He says, I saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the whole temple. And above him was the, the, was the seraphim. And each one was crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Their wings are covering the face. They're flying. They're covering their feet. And what does Isaiah say when he beholds the God that he wanted to see? Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the king. My eyes have seen the Lord. So here you have righteous people coming close to the Lord and they're being told to stay back. They're unable to get close. Or when they do get close, they are undone. They are despising themselves. They're repenting. They're broken. They're shattered. This is the theme, the trend throughout the whole Old Testament. But then we see something altogether staggering. You turn to Luke 8 and you see this. And you know the story. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' home. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. And you say, who touched you? People are crowding, touching, pressing. There's so many people surrounding Jesus, constantly touching him, that Peter is saying, it's impossible to tell who touched you. But who is Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as we heard earlier, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is Jesus? Hebrews responds. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Who is Jesus? Colossians responds. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What does this teach us? God was unapproachable, and now God is so approachable that so many people are touching Him that it's impossible to tell who. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. 
What is this teaching us? Ephesians 2.18, For through Him, that is Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Jesus, the great High Priest, is the only way for you and I to be able to come to the Father, to love the Father, to worship the Father, and even to give thanks to the Father. He is the only door, the only mediator between God and man. And Paul was fully aware that he couldn't even give thanks to God without going through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the splitting of the veil to bring us into the presence of our God. Are you this aware of your position before the Lord? That the only reason that you are accepted, the only reason that you can pray and sing and worship and draw close to God is because of Christ? Or do we just run into prayer not even thinking about the only reason we're able to do this is because the veil of Christ's body was torn so that we could enter in to the Holy of Holies. Without the person of Christ, you and I would be destroyed 1 Timothy 6.15 says this, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in what? Unapproachable light. And yet every single Christian is told in Hebrews with boldness, King James, confidence, ESV, to draw near to the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. How can you draw near to the one who dwells in unapproachable light? Through Christ. Only through Christ. Paul gave thanks to his God through Christ for who? Who did Paul give thanks to God through Jesus Christ for? What does the text say? All of you. All of you. Did he have his favorites? Did Paul have cliques? Some churches have cliques, right? These are my favorite Christians. Uh, Not too fond of you all over there. That's not how Paul thought. (laughs) How many of the saints was he thankful for? All of them. And brothers and sisters, please remember, this is the reason why I read the full uh, context of this passage. Paul never met these people. He said, I had often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented. I long to see you. Paul was thankful for people he never met. Now, in our day, they say the only way we can get along is if we have everything in common. Right? We, we have to like the same hobbies and the same movies and the same food. We have to share similar cultural experiences and come from the same backgrounds. We need to be the same ethnicity. We need to have this, that, and the other all alike or else we can't get along. Paul disagreed. Paul did not believe that. We're just so different. <laughs> we don't know each other well enough. Paul could say by the Spirit of God that he gives thanks to his God through Jesus Christ, for every single one of these people who he never even met. How is that possible? And I'll tell you, and it's wrapped up in the very next words. The reason why he was able to do this is because these Roman Christians were famous. They were famous. Doesn't that sound strange? (laughs) Paul could have this deep, loving affection for these people even though he never met them, didn't know them, their likes, dislikes, all because of this one fact. They were famous. The question is, what were they famous for? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. That's what they were famous for, their faith. They were well known by everybody for their faith. There's a church in Bastrop that is well known for many things. My wife was telling me on Wednesday that everyone that she's met from this church, they all say the same thing. 
They talk about the building, they talk about the worship team, the sound equipment, the programs, this, that, and the other. That's what they are famous for, and that's what they are proud about. Some churches are famous for their buildings. People literally take trips across the ocean to visit cathedrals. That's what they're famous for. They want to see the stained glass windows. Some churches are famous for their singing and their sound equipment. Some churches are famous for their programs. They have the best youth group in the city. You should see what they do on Easter. They drop thousands and tens of thousands of Easter eggs from a helicopter. Come to our church to experience such things. They can even be famous for their pastor. People show up to see this big name. He's not there. They're disappointed. What is GCA famous for? What are we known for? Well, Lord willing, it's our faith. That's what these brothers and sisters were famous for, their faith. It says that their faith is proclaimed, preached, spoken of, broadcasted in all the world. Well, not literally, of course, right? It wasn't like in the Americas, people had known about the church in Rome, but you get the idea. Everywhere there they went, everyone that they had encounter with, they were impacted by the faith of these Christians. They left a mark. They left an impression. Can we make it direct and uncomfortable? It's, it's, it's one thing to ask, what is our church famous for? But what about you personally? What are you famous for? Those people who know you, what would they say about you if they didn't have to fear your wrath? <laughs> right. What would they honestly say you are known for? Is it being critical? Is it being harsh? Selfish? Are you known for caring about money or status, your appearance, hair, clothes, shoes, your career? Are you the fitness guy, the essential oils girl? Are you the guns and ammo expert? Are you the homeschool lady or the car brother? Uh, what are you known for? There are some people who are known for conflict. No matter who they're with, they just seem to go from person to person. They always have a problem. Friendships don't last. Relationships get into all kinds of strife. They're just well known for a fight. It's like if you want to fight, spend time with them. That's their reputation. What are you known for? Others are people pleasers. They try to appease everybody. They just go along to get along. Say anything, do anything. They don't want to ruffle feathers, don't want to stir the water, don't want to rock the boat. What are you famous for? When your name comes up, what is said? Paul was thankful to God through Jesus Christ for every single one of these saints in Rome for this one reason. One thing caused him to say, I don't care that I've never met you. I, I, I'm not interested in the fact that we may have different backgrounds, different cultures. You're a Gentile. I'm a Jew. Rich, poor, male, female, slave, master, young, old. None of that mattered. None of that came into discussion. The only thing that mattered to him was their faith. Does that determine your relationships? Does that determine whether or not you give thanks for someone? Is that the most important element in relationship for you? Is that what means the most? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. That means to both sheep and goats alike. Well, let's explore this more in the time that remains. What does Paul mean by faith? It means both what they believed and how they behaved. Or put another way, it is both what they said from their lips and how they lived with their lives. 
doctrine. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul tells the Corinthians, examine yourself to see whether you are in what? The faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Galatians 1.23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. Preaching the faith. This is words. This is doctrine. This is uh, theology, worldview. He's preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in Latter times, later times, some will depart from the faith. How? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. So you see how the faith is being put forth as something you can preach, as something that you can examine in light of who Christ is, in light of teachings of demons versus true teaching. The faith is the truth of Christ, the doctrine of Christianity. It's not a truth. That's what people are saying these days, right? Tell me your truth, and I'll tell you my truth. Uh, that, that's, that's not what this is. All right, we're not telling anybody our truth. We are the people of the truth. We preach the truth. This is the faith, the truth, the way. Are you in the faith? Do you believe the truth? We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that man is sinful by nature and is unable to please God by himself. He cannot save himself. We believe that God sent his only Son to be the satisfaction of his wrath and to fulfill the law in our place. We believe that he was born of a virgin and he has two natures, both God and man. We believe that he lived a perfect life. We believe that he died a sacrificial death and that he rose victoriously from the grave with victory and power. We believe that it is by faith in Christ alone that saves us, not church attendance, not baptism, not good works, not Bible reading, evangelism, acts of kindness, or anything else. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, based upon the testimony of Scripture alone. We believe that all who trust in Christ are new creations and will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We believe that all who trust in Christ look forward to His coming and that He will return soon to judge the living and the dead and to pour out His wrath upon His enemies and to reward those who have loved His coming. Is this what you believe? Is this what you cling to? Is this what you are in? The faith. But as I said, Paul doesn't only mean what they say. It's not only what they preach, but it's also how they live. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him. How? By their works, by their deeds. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Those people had lips, they profess, but no life. It's not enough to have lips if you don't have the life. 1 John 2, 4, whoever says, see, notice the trend, whoever says, I know him, lips, but does not keep his commandments, life is a what? A liar, and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says, lips, he abides in Him, ought to walk life in the same way in which he walked. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, what does it say? He has what? Denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. How has he denied the faith? Did he say Jesus is not God? Did he say the Trinity is a pagan creation? Did he say salvation is by works? No. How did he deny the faith? 
by not living according to the faith that he believes. Paul means both life and lips, both belief and behavior. Do you see it? 1 Timothy 1.8 Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else, notice this, is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. There is a direct connection between the faith that we speak and preach and believe and what it produces in us as a lifestyle. It's not either or. It's always both and. And What Paul is saying about these Christians is he was grateful to God because their faith, both their lips and their lives, had been well known wherever they went. So how are you doing in this area of your life? How is your faith? Remember, the message here is what are you famous for? They were well known for their faith. What about you? Now we have established only what faith is. It's both lips and life. But Paul says more than just that they had this faith. He said that this faith that they had was proclaimed, was well known, was broadcasted, was preached in all the world. How? How do they accomplish this? By preaching everywhere they went and walking in a manner worthy of who they loved and what they preached. These brothers and sisters had to be telling people about Christ. They let people know that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. They preached that it is not animal sacrifices or good works. It is not the power of wealth or religious activities that brings eternal life. They went forth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Paul traveled on his missionary journeys, he would come into contact with somebody who knew about Christ, and the question would be asked, how did you know this? Well, there was a man from Rome. There was a woman from Rome that I met. I heard about Christ from them. Paul continued to find the fruit of their evangelism. Some of you children, y'all like Legos, right? There, there are some kids who, uh, if you don't know where they are, just follow the trail of Legos. Right? It's like the pathway, breadcrumbs. That's what they were like. Paul was going along and he's following the evidence that the saints from Rome had been there. Remember, when we first began this uh, series in Romans, I talked about how Claudius had sent out all of the Jews out of Rome because of this worship of Christus. So they were spread out and then they were allowed to come back. And so the understanding is this is how the word got out. They were sent out of Rome and they're telling people as they go and as they came back, now the fruit is there. Matthew Henry says this, Paul traveled up and down from place to place and wherever he came, he heard great commendations of the Christians at Rome. What a testimony. And something that we need to remember is this. The Roman Empire was not the Bible Belt. That's important, right? What is the Bible Belt? It's a place where it's very easy and comfortable to be a Christian. We're talking about the Roman Empire, where Caesar demanded to be worshipped as God. Nero was the emperor at the time. Christianity was illegal. This was not an easy place or a comfortable place or a safe place to preach Christ, to preach that the Lamb is Lord, not the beast. What is the most America-hating place on the planet? What would you say? North Korea? Iran? 
It's actually Russia. Wall Street Journal did a survey, top 10 countries in the world that hate America. This is what they said. No country disapproves of America more than Russia. 82% of survey respondents said that they disapproved of America and their leadership and their ways. Imagine going to the most Russian city in Russia, waving a big American flag. Yeah, that's what the saints in Rome did. They proclaimed Christ in a place where Jesus was hated, Christians were hated, the very things that we love and cherish were hated, and they were out loud, bold for Christ. They didn't shriek, shrink back. They didn't close their mouths. They didn't let the fear of torture or death stop them, did they? Are you like these people? Living in the Bible Belt? How faithful are you when it comes to preaching the gospel where it's safe and comfortable and legal? How often do you open your mouth and tell others about him? In fact, let me ask you this. And again, every question that I'm asking you, I had to ask myself twice. Is there anyone in your life that you claim to love that you haven't told about Jesus? Is there anyone in your life that you claim to love that you have not given the gospel to? Doesn't the Lord deserve their worship? Isn't Christ worthy of their surrender? Hasn't the Holy Spirit shown you how precious He is? And why haven't you told them? You know what Jonah said from inside the whale? He said, those who pay regard to worthless idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those people that you love, they are missing out on knowing the God that made them. Worshiping the God who made them. Who will love them truly. Forgive them. Lavish them with His grace and His presence. You can't save them, but you know like I do, they will not be saved apart from the Gospel. How will they believe in Him whom they never heard? How will they hear unless there is a preacher? What about this question? What will happen to everyone that you love if they die without Christ? Picture them on the day of judgment. Picture them before the throne, before the Lamb. Hear the words, those terrifying words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity I never knew you. Why haven't you told them? Children, you you see your friends every week after service, during fellowship, but do you ever talk to them about their soul? Do you ever challenge them? Do you pray for them? Do you ever proclaim your faith to them? It's safe here. Nobody has a gun to your head. They were facing lions and torture and being burned alive. Of course, they didn't do this perfectly, but they had a reputation. They were famous for this. Are you well known for telling people about the Lord? What did Jesus say? From the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So from your heart come words. Is it ever Jesus? Is it ever the Gospel? When you gather with family and friends and co-workers and neighbors, what comes out of your mouth? And then, remember that you've been given mercy. You've been forgiven. You have been loved. You know Him. You've been given meaning. How many people in this world chase after the wind? They're trying to grab a hold of wind and it goes through their fingers. 
It's like they're trying to dodge raindrops. It's a meaningless and an empty pursuit. Their lives are so empty. They're so meaningless. They go after one fad after another. They're trying to find satisfaction and wealth or in the pleasures of this world. And it's empty. It's dry. It's meaningless. But you, brother and sister, you have found meaning and purpose and joy and peace. Don't you want them to have the same? Tell them. I charge you, as I charge myself, tell them. They need to know him before it's too late. Time is ticking. Eternity is forever and judgment is coming and death is promised. And they don't love him and they don't honor him and they don't care about him. And the only way that they will is if you tell them. But remember, it wasn't just what they said It was also how they lived. If they preached Jesus, but didn't live like Jesus, that's hypocrisy. In Romans 2, Paul tells us that hypocrisy does not bring worship. What does it bring? He said the name of God is what? Blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. If we have lips but no life, I mean no life, it only brings hypocrisy, and blasphemy. You may be very evangelistic, but does your life look like Christ? I'm not talking about perfection. God forbid, which of us would qualify? I'm not talking about never sinning, never falling. That would be impossible. But are you walking with the Lord? Are you trusting Him? Are you an obedient follower of Him? Do you love Him? What does your life look like? It wasn't just the words these brothers and sisters were saying, but those words were accompanied by good works. And they were serving others, pouring out their lives for one another. They were feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the sick, bringing essentials to brethren in prison. How do we know this? Because Paul's commending them for this. But even the secular historian talked about the behavior of the Christians in Rome. Pliny the Younger, he had this to say. They, the Christians, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God, and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to do any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery never to falsify their word nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. That was a lost man. The reputation of the saints in Rome was so much so that Paul is finding other Christians and they're saying, yo, those saints over in Rome, they are killing it for the Lord. And then even the secular historians would say, these group of people, this cult, they have committed to live righteous lives, not to defraud people, to share and give and help and serve others. They had a testimony that was well spoken of in the church and in the world. Are you known for living a holy life, even by your enemies? Not just when people are watching us, because it's easy, right? It's easy for us to put on a, it's Halloween, people are going to put on a mask, and sometimes we can wear a mask, right? But we take the mask off, who are we really? When no one's watching you, who are you really? How do you actually behave when you're alone? When it boils down to it, Who are you? Who am I? Now, brothers and sisters, please don't fall into condemnation here. If you are in Christ, you have it on God's word that he is producing fruit in you and will continue to do so. The spirit of God is not leaving you alone to your own devices to try to manufacture this by yourself. His word is on it. 
you will be sanctified and brought into the image of Christ. But we are not robots. We are commanded to put to death the things in us that are still earthly. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you doing good works? Matthew 5.16, y'all know these passages. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Acts 9.36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Listen to this. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Are you? In Titus, Paul says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Is that how you live? Do you live in such a way that shows Jesus is Lord? That He is the treasure of your life? Do you live in such a way that shows you trust Him? Do you spend your time in a way that shows you believe judgment day is coming soon? Do you lead your family in a way that shows them that Christ is precious to you, even more precious than your comfort, than your being respected, or you being successful? And let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? All this craziness going on with mandates and masks and manipulation. Is your hope in Trump being reelected? Or Biden being impeached? Is your hope in supplies or guns or homesteads or survival skills? I'm not saying I'm against any of these things. But I am against self-reliance and self-dependence when God calls us to rely upon Him. The saints in Rome were up against great battles. Homosexuality was not just present and common, it was championed. Pedophilia was seen as a rite of passage. Sensuality was everywhere. The false religion, prostitution was coupled with it. Injustice was everywhere. Corruption, crime, and wickedness, deception. There were spies. There were lies. Corruption and cover-ups all over the place. And here is this weak group of Christians saying, no, no. We will not go the way of this world. We will not go the way of the society. We will not go the way of the culture. We are going to stand out. We're going to live out lie. We're going to be light in the midst of darkness. We're going to be salt in the midst of decaying flesh. They stood out and they suffered and they died and they were fed to wild beasts and they had their things taken from them and they were imprisoned. They went through great suffering, but they would not compromise for the sake of his name. Does that sound like us? Well, what is true of every Christian here, and bringing this to a close, is that everyone here is stronger in one of these two areas. Some of you, you will speak and preach and evangelize, and you will not shrink back, and you will not be quiet. You will tell people, and you do. But when it comes to your life, there's weaknesses there, There's inconsistency there. Others, you're walking in a manner that is worthy. You are consistent and faithful. There is a a devotion to Him, but you are quiet and you shrink back and you're timid to speak up. We are not to boast in our strength and look down on others because of their weakness. What we are strong in is because of what? grace to you, Christ. So what do you do? You come face to face in all reality and honesty. Where am I weak? 
Take that to the Lord that he might help you to become strong. Repent of the areas where you have been timid or shy or you've compromised or you have been hypocritical. The Lord Jesus Christ preached perfectly truth. He was never afraid to speak up and he lived consistently, faithfully before his father. He was never hypocritical. We cannot do it without him. So you take your weaknesses to him and be mindful of any strength that you have comes from the grace of God. And may we be famous for our faith, both in what we say and how we behave for the sake of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you. Thank you. We're not as thankful as we should be, and we want to be more thankful. And help us, Lord, to own you in the sense of this is a marital relationship. You are our God, and we are your people. We are yours, and you are ours, and that is something that we should rejoice in. Help us, Father, to have this love for all of the saints, even if we don't know them personally, because they know you. And Lord, give us grace that we would put to death that which is within us that is inconsistent, whether we are timid and we let the fear of man keep us quiet or we have been compromising in the area of holiness. May we walk in a manner worthy of Christ Jesus, the King of Kings. Amen.